Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, How Do I Quit Backsliding? How do I quit backsliding? It could have easily been titled, How Do I Come Back from a Time of Backsliding? But how do I quit backsliding? Because if we've learned anything in the last few studies, it's the truth that anyone anywhere can backslide. You can backslide. I can backslide. Marriages can backslide. Churches can backslide. We read in the scriptures that apostles can backslide. Kings can backslide. Pastors, leaders, anyone, anywhere can choose to turn away from the love of God. It doesn't happen overnight. But through small, slow, subtle decisions that the truth and the essence is of not doing what you're hearing. That's what we learn right here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to do what we hear. And when we stop doing what we're hearing, the drifting away begins. Some listening right now might be in the middle of backsliding so miserable and frustrated because we learned didn't we that backsliding equals misery and it's not getting you to the place where you thought it would get you and it's not accomplishing any type of peace or hope or strength in your life maybe you're in the middle of backsliding and you want to come back today i want to help you come back to your loving heavenly father today we want to learn how to quit backsliding what that looks like in our lives. Because one thing is for sure, Jesus is very interested in the affairs of his church and what's going on in the body of Christ on the earth today. But remember this, the church is not a building. The church is not this building. This building is simply concrete and drywall and it's empty most of the week. This room right here is empty most of the week. It's dark, it's cooler, and, and it's, it's not alive like it is when you show up. Because the Bible teaches that buildings aren't churches, but you're the church, and I'm the church. So that this building comes alive when the church shows up. Now, I'm not opposed to the language. I mean, sure, some of you probably got up this morning and say, okay, it's time to go to church. I'm not opposed to the language because I think God understands what we mean. But it's important that we understand that you're the church. And that by you and me being the church, Jesus is very interested in your life. He's very interested in how you live your life. He's very interested in what direction your life takes. He doesn't want you just responding in cold religion, going through the motions of things you might have been taught, ritualistically coming to God on a regular basis, but rather he wants us to cultivate our relationship with him. Like any relationships, time and testing, devotion and commitment, 
His heart truly is revealed to us in John chapter 15, where he wants that abiding relationship. He in us, and I, and we in him. And so when things aren't right in our lives, in the life of our church, in the life of our church family collectively, we can expect Jesus to set things straight, which is what he does in Revelation. At the end of Revelation, or really in the beginning of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Jesus writes seven small notes to seven different churches geographically. Today we might call it a post-it note or a text message, but short and powerful messages that he has for the churches in these geographical locations. And for some of you, I want to remind you of this note to the church in Ephesus, but for many, you're going to hear it for the first time. There was a church in the city of Ephesus that was planted, for homework you can read, Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20. It was planted by Paul the Apostle on one of his missionary journeys. He came to a city, preached the gospel, lives were radically transformed, and he stuck around there for a few years to pour his life into them. And a church was birthed. And as they continued on with life, man, they were a great church. They were doing great things. The gospel was sounding forth from this little church in Ephesus, which, by the way, you can visit Ephesus today. The ruins of Ephesus are still there in Turkey, and you can visit that today. Visit that today. But what you won't see is a strong, vibrant church there, unfortunately. Because you got a church that started out so strong. Then you come into the New Testament, a little bit farther from the book of Acts, to the book of Ephesians which was a longer letter written by Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to this strong church that was making huge inroads. It says that they were enriched in every spiritual gift. Not only that, they were instructed on spiritual warfare. That's the book, Ephesians, where we learn how to put on the spiritual armor in our lives the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that that our feet might be shod with the shoes of the gospel of peace, that we'd have the belt of truth, that we would use prayer and the word as the weapons in the spiritual realm. Why? Because every believer, every church that makes progress is going to face spiritual warfare. And the church in Ephesus was so powerful, making such great inroads that they needed to be reminded very specifically, make sure you guys know you're in a spiritual war that it's a battle for the souls of men and women, that it's a battle to win a city for Christ and to make a dent in our community, to be the light and the salt of the earth. And now in Revelation chapter 2, about 60 years later, there's trouble in the church in Ephesus. Pick up with me now in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now let's pause there for a moment because if we were to receive a note from Jesus with these introductory remarks, we would be encouraged because he sees so much good in the church. They're making progress still. There are many good works coming from them. Notice they're even discerning. They're able to tell good from wrong, good from bad, 
evil from good. They're able to take righteousness and say that is something that's important and to dismiss evil, which I find is lacking sometimes in the lives of so many believers, unwilling to take a stand for righteousness. I wonder why. I wonder why it is today that you're unwilling to stand up for what is right and what is good and what is true, because that's the heart of God. In his nature, you know, God is gracious and he's merciful and he's compassionate and he's filled with love. The Bible actually says that God is love, but did you know that love also takes a stand for what is right? And God, he, he from the character and nature of God comes judgment, holiness, righteousness. It's all part of the package. Well, here they are. They're taking a stand for what is right. A lot of good works. It says in verse 2 that they not only have works, but they have labor. And again, he repeats it in verse 3, have labored. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word labor and write next to it, they have worked to the point of exhaustion. They're tired. They, they are serving God to a point where there is exhaustion and there's, they're tired because anybody that has ever sought to serve Jesus Christ understands that it gets tiring sometimes. You get weary, even so much so that the Bible would say, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if what? You don't lose heart. But any true servant of God knows, man, it's easy to lose heart and it's easy to be wearied. Well, not only that, but notice they have patience, it says in verse 2. And again in verse 3, they have persevered and have patience. They've been able to press on. That word persevere literally means to bear up under the weight of a load. So that as things get heavier and as things get harder and the, as the culture gets darker, they've steadied on. And what an important key for us to make progress in our spiritual lives, but to press on. As you grow and mature, as you step out in faith, as you make the decision to serve Jesus here, or share the gospel there, or sacrifice in an area of life unto the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to persevere. Or we might say it this way, you're going to have to learn how not to quit, but to keep going, to take the next step. To know that what you're doing is vital and important to the heart of God. That's the church of Ephesus. So far, so good. I mean, this is the kind of letter that we want to receive. So far, so good. And then there's verse 4. A word you never really want to hear out of the mouth of Jesus. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I want you to consider something right now. Because we've learned in our last study that when Jesus declares the gospel message and he preaches a message of repentance, he says, you're either for me or against me. So by the posture and position of your life, you can actually position your life against Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? By not being with him, not being for him. But this is a little different. This isn't the church of Ephesus against Jesus. No, rather, it's Jesus against the church. He says, I have this against you. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not strong. You, you are making a grave error here. It's not going to end well, and I'm against this in your life. And you say, what is that? Well, in all their activity, they had left their first love. 
Those of you that have left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It is not okay with your Savior. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to believers. It's believers that backslide. Unbelievers apostatize. Believers backslide. Believers live a life uh, that, that is often described as a prodigal life where you walk away, you turn away from God temporarily. If you're a, a true believer, you'll be back. But, but as you walk away, one of the things that you choose to do is leave your first love. And the emphasis in the original language here is actually on the word first. It speaks of a priority. Backsliding is always an inside job. It's a matter of your heart. That's why today, seeing you as I do, seeing you eye to eye, I have no idea if you're backsliding. And some of you go, wait a minute, Ed, I'm in church. You know, does, how, how can you call, even consider me a backslider? I'm in church. Well, Jesus is writing to a church right now telling them that they left their first love. Because like, here's what happens. It is far too easy to pretend to be a Christian than it is to be a Christian. It's far too easy to put up a front to try to impress people around us and try to be the perfect Christian or try to put on some kind of airs about us. Some, like, look at us and look at it. It's too easy. It's, it's the easier way to pretend that you're doing okay than it is just to submit your life to Jesus Christ. And yes, you can be in a position where you've left your first love and still do a work for God. You can be in a position where you've left your first love and still labor you can be in a position where you've left your first love and even persevere and even be able to tell good from evil. But understand, if you've left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It's not a good place to be. We learn in Hebrews, it speaks of drifting away. And we've learned in other places, it also can be referred to as backsliding. And yes, I, I, I see, I don't have any idea if you're backsliding because it's a heart issue. It's not where you are. Now I have to say, you being in the, in the place of receiving Bible study day, that's a good thing. Now I know some of you are here because your mom made you. Good job, mom. Make them come to church every week. It's a good thing to be in the, under the teaching of God's word. It's a good thing to be with other saints because that becomes a place where God can really speak to you and he can get you back on track or for the very first time lead you to the place where you repent of your sins and you submit your life to the God who created you. It's a good thing that you're here, but don't confuse being in a building with other Christians as being, you're, everything's fine because I did my Christian duty today. You know, I found that to be a big trap. I found that to be a big trap in those that have walked away from their first love, and that is by defining their lives by what good Christians do. Well, you know, I do this because that's what a good Christian does, and I do this because I'm a Christian. Instead of having your life being led by the Holy Spirit. Now understand me here. The idea of being a good follower of Jesus Christ is one that who? Denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus. And if you define your life with good Christians, everybody has an attitude of what good Christians, everyone has an opinion of good Christians, but what does God want you to do? How does he want you to live your life? How often do you come to the word of God to get direction from the God of the word? How often are you allowing God to speak directly to your life, that you make decisions based on what the word of God says, not the opinion of man, not what a good Christian might do, not what a Christian in Western culture would do, but what does God want you to do? 
And how does he want you to live your life? When's the last time you even asked him when you had a decision to be made? When there was trouble with the kids? When you had the issue at work? When there's conflict with another person, believer or unbeliever? When's the last time you just asked, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What is your heart on the matter? What's going to most reflect your character and nature in this situation? How do you want to use me? And how do you want to use this situation in order to change me that I might be more like Jesus Christ in my life? Oh, there you are, church. Lots of works and labor. You can't bear those that are evil. You test those that say they're apostles. You've bared up under the weight and the pressure. You have patience. You've been laboring for my namesake, and you haven't become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I want you to notice that in verse 4 that they left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. Slowly but surely, day by day, week by week, you find yourself slipping away from your first love. It wasn't their love for each other. It wasn't even love for family. It was their love for Jesus Christ that began to suffer. And over a period of time, that simple love, that pure devotion eroded and became cold, stale, and lifeless. Sure, they were full of all the emotions, all the motions, that, but they weren't connected to Jesus. Yeah, they, they did all the right things, if you will. They worked really hard. And yet Jesus had this against him, and it's so common that it's sad that we have, to, we have to find ourselves in a place of being active and yet not connected to Jesus through the actions. Too many are leaving their first love. You know, what is their first love? How would you define first love? I, I think it's best to, to go back to the time as a new believer or a newer believer where everything was fresh and new and you didn't really know anything. Maybe back to the days where you couldn't find a book of the Bible Back to the days when you, when you heard a Bible study, you actually did it that same day. Where, where you just sensed that God was saying, I want to touch this in your life, and I want this over here. And, this was, and you began to have a growing, abiding relationship with God. You know, I couldn't help but think of my own life as I began to think back on the new believer time in my life and how important it was to me to whatever the Bible said I wanted to, to be done in my life. I wanted to be the kind of husband that God wanted me to be. I wanted to be the kind of dad that God wanted me. I wanted to be a son and a better. I wanted every facet of my life to undergo radical spiritual surgery so that I would be the person that would walk in unity with God. So I'd find myself at every Bible study that was possible. Back in the day, we would devour Bible studies on something called cassette tapes. You remember those? Cassette tapes. And we'd even have to take it out and flip it over so we could hear the other side. And I was so hungry to learn, what does God say? Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, that's amazing. And I had this, this desire and zeal. Remember, it was to the church, another church right here in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, that Jesus said something like this. I wish that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I'll spit you out of my mouth. Imagine having not only Jesus against you, but to expel you violently in this relationship that you once had. When you compare hot, that would be really what Jesus is speaking of here, that first love, that the hotness and the, the burning love that you had for him. 
Of course, cold would be completely against him, and lukewarm is just horrible. You just, you're not either or. You're just letting all kinds of stuff happen in your life, and you're really not taking a stand for anything. It took just 60 years, just 60 short years for a church that flipped their city upside down or right side up, if you will, to get a note from Jesus warning them, it's almost done, folks. It's almost done. I see that in the broader sense of the church of Jesus Christ today, of which we are a part of. You know, there are different studies and statistics that say, oh, the church attendance is down, church attendance is up. But we're, we're seeing in these latter days more people get saved collectively around the world, churches growing than ever before. I see it only in, already in our own culture. Large churches growing thousands and thousands and lots of church planting like never before. So the church is getting wider and wider, but not very deep. Why is that? Why are more people going to church? Why are more people raising their kids? Why are more people claiming the name? Why is it that more people in our culture seem to be joining a church somewhere, but our culture remains unaffected? How how is it? Well, there's a couple thoughts. Number one, I think that there's a lot of people that profess Jesus Christ, but are simply not born again. And there's something about them that they want. They want to be a part of something. And they want to feel like they're close to God, but they've never repented of their sins. So they're just churchgoers. Unless you think it only happens out there, it certainly happens here among us. This isn't about them compared to us. It's about us, the larger body of Christ. You know, the culture is not being affected because there's just a lot of professing believers just play-acting But secondly, the church is filled with backsliders. The church is filled with people that have left their first love. They're caught up with the cares and concerns of this life. They're distracted. I mean, you have people come worship Jesus Christ on a Saturday night, go into the bathroom downstairs, change into their party clothes, and then head out to the party and to the clubs. Why? How is that going to affect this world for Jesus Christ? I mean, you have, you have in the body of Christ this habit. We didn't do this when we were new believers. As new believers, when we, we heard the word of God, we immediately obeyed it. But over time, we get a little bit of the Bible under us. We become the, the most experienced theologians, and we can make excuses and reasons for any bad behavior. You know, let's, let's take in our own culture here, now, now that in our own state that they have They've legalized marijuana. And I can't tell you how many times, man, the excuses and the justifications for being under the influence of pot and just checking out in life and go, hey, man, God bless you. Jesus loves you, man. Can you pass the joint? And you say, wait a minute, where do you see that in the Bible? Well, hey, man, open up to Genesis with me. Let me get there. It takes me a while, you know. <laughs> and then it says right here, I <laughs> changed my voice back. It says right here. I don't know why I got caught up in that. (laughs) It says right here in Genesis that God has given to us every herb of the field to enjoy. No, it actually says every herb of the field to eat. So are you taking the stalk of marijuana and eating it? No, man, but I've got the brownies. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's not what it's talking about, these edibles. The reality is, is that You're choosing to take a scripture to twist it out of context 
that God never gave you permission just to check out on life and be drunk and high your entire life. That is not from the Lord. The Bible says this, be ye not drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That if you're going to be controlled by anything, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to be controlled by the power of God in your life. And you're going to be led by him. And you're going to do what he says. And you're going to do what he doesn't. And you're not going to do what he says not to do. Listen, if God gave you every herb of the field, then why aren't you smoking the grass in your front, front lawn? Why aren't you taking poison ivy and rubbing it all over your body? Why? Because you're justifying behavior that you know. You don't need a pastor to tell you. You're justifying behavior that's destructive and that helps you pull out of reality when in reality, God wants you to live in this culture to make a difference, not check out of it. Maybe that's why the culture's not being affected by the church because the church tends to be filled with professing believers and backslidden ones, and it's not God's heart. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Well, how do you come back? It's a good question to ask, because anyone anywhere that is backslidden can always come home, and true believers will. Notice with me what Jesus says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So in order to help you remember, or for those of you listening in that need to do this, here are the three steps. And quite often they happen all at the same time. Number one, remember from where you have fallen. Remember, and this is one of those times where you can literally say, remember the good old days. Remember, remember back when life was all about your love relationship with God. Remember back when it was so exciting to learn and it was so exciting to serve and it was so exciting to lead and it was so exciting to deny yourself and say, yes, Lord, I've taken my life and gone in this direction. I want to follow you. I want to give myself. I want to grow in deeper places. Remember from where you are fallen. Remember Use your memory to think back to the time when you fell away and go back there. Go back to the beginning where Jesus was your everything. Remember the power of Jesus that saved your life. Remember the miry clay you were stuck in. Remember the traps of sin. Remember the pains of life. And if you were raised in a godly home, then go back to the generation where God saved your grandpa or your great-grandpa and thank God for the time in their lives. That's why you got a godly heritage. Thank God for it and get back to basics. Come back to your first love. Do you know, by the way, if you've been backsliding in your marriage, this is the first step to getting things right in your marriage. Remember your love relationship with your spouse. Remember the covenant you made. Go back past all the problems and all the issues and all the arguments, and let's get back to basics. Number two, repent. Repent. Hey, remember, he's not going to do anything unless you take action. And the action that God says is repent. Now, again, this is one of those places where the church loves to argue about believers, whether they should repent of sin or not. Should believers repent of sin? Well, I want you to notice Jesus is telling a church to repent of their sin twice. So the answer is yes. We should live a life of repentance continually, ongoing, 
We should take what the Word of God says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and purify us from all righteousness. We need to live a life of repentance, but not like the world. It's not, this isn't worldly sorrow. This isn't remember from where you have fallen and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Look where I'm at now. I've messed things up. I've been far away. Yes, I left my first love. What a horrible person I am. How bad I've made things. Look at the consequences. Look what I've ruined. That's actually called worldly sorrow. You're upset that you got caught. You're upset about the consequences that have come. And you combine that with condemnation. Condemnation will never get you closer to God. It will always separate you farther and farther away. It's not God's heart for you to be condemned over your failures. It's God's heart for you to repent, to turn back, to leave that lifestyle behind. If it's ever pictured beautifully for us, it's in the prodigal son that ran away from his dad. The Bible says he finally came to his senses and what? He left the condition of his prodigal living and he what? Went back home. He did this the opposite. No, instead of worldly sorrow, you want to have what the Bible calls godly sorrow. That it's not actually about you and what you've lost. It's about your sin against a holy and a righteous God. Like the psalmist says, David, in his psalm of repentance, he speaks of having the joy of his salvation return to him. He, he speaks of how he sinned against God. And he was involved in some horrifically difficult things, and yet God received him back only through repentance. You've got to do an about face. You've got to get your eyes back on the cross. Start looking to Jesus once again. Start talking to him again. Come back to the communion table. As you come to that realization of just how far you've gotten away, don't just sit there and feel bad about it, condemning yourself. Remember and repent and come back to the one that forgives and restores. And then finally, number three, we're going to use another R word to keep it consistent. When he says, do the first works, repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat the first works. Go back to basics and start over. You can start over. You and I, we serve the God of the second chance. But in some cases, we can't even keep up on the chances that God extends to us in his grace and his mercy. Go back and do it over again. Do a do-over and what is it, the first work? So I think it's really important that we grasp this. Because I don't think it's the works that Jesus is praising them on. It's actually this. Listen, John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Backsliding is not just a heart issue, it's a faith issue. You not only left your first love, but you've left the essence of faith and trust in a God who loves you. And whenever we're lacking faith, we're always gonna go backwards and away from God. Go back to the life of faith and dependence. Go back to the place where everything truly was exciting for you, where you were humble and broken before God. Because notice, if you don't, if you don't repent and do the first works, I'll come to you, he says in verse five, quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Are you too busy for the Lord? Are you too active? Are you, are you just going through the motions? Then Jesus would say to you, I won't stay around a church that doesn't love me, where I'm not welcome. And it doesn't matter how much you do for him. 
It doesn't matter how active you are. It's the love relationship that matters. It's the very foundation. You know, we can have all kinds of things. Now back to our church at large. We can have all kinds of things going on. We can have doctrine of purity. We can have all sorts of programs. But Jesus isn't going to stick around a place where there isn't any love. He said the essence of how the world will understand the distinction of his followers is by our love for one another, us. And you know how difficult it can be sometimes to love one another, even in Christ. But that's the definitive mark of a true church, of true believers, that we respond in love toward one another and that there's an evidence of love among us. Because, you know, churches can die. You know that. Churches can have a name that they're alive, but they're dead inside. Just turn the page in Revelation, would you? To a church in another city, in the city of Sardis, in chapter 3. Jesus writes and he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God, this is verse 2, and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Not only can that describe churches, but it can describe people. It's the number one thing that Jesus rebuked the spiritual leaders of the day. He actually spoke of them as whitewashed tombs where everything is clean on the outside, but not on the inside. Backsliding serious stuff, guys. Whether it's a small little area that's going to lead to more, whether it's wholesale, you may, you're not even here, you're listening in from afar, or somebody handed these studies to you, it's time to come home. Especially in these last days. As the days grow darker, the brightness of the church will only continue to increase through those that are pressing forward in their relationship with Him. Let me show you one more thing. Would you turn over to Jude for a moment? Jude only has one chapter. It's a few pages over. I mean, it's just right before. It's Jude and then Revelation. Turn to Jude verse 20. Jude verse 20. Such an encouraging, encouraging instruction here for us. We don't want to be a church functioning apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't want to have a home that functions apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't have a marriage functioning apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't want to have a single life apart from the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And notice what Jude writes in verse 20 here in Jude. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, notice verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's possible for you to remove yourself from God's full blessing of love. It's possible. Just as it's possible to block the rays of the sun in your life, where without, you know, maybe you take out an umbrella on a very sunny day so you can be in the shade. The sun is still beating down but you've actually removed yourself from the effects of the sun. Well, in the same way, you can remove yourself from the full effects of the love of God. You can have that umbrella, if you will, of backsliding, a life of compromise. And so what does he say? Keep yourselves in the love of God. And he does it in the backdrop of these sensual persons that cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you guys, keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. 
We want the fullness to experience the fullness of God's love and to extend it to others. And so if you feel far from God today, God's saying to you, I'm right here. I haven't moved. You're the one that started to slip. You stepped away, so come back to me. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Unless you think this will never happen to you, it can. It just takes a little bit of time You learn the motions, you learn the habits, you learn the routines, and everything that you once had in a love relationship with God is replaced with routine and ritual, matched with compromise and a lack of love. And things can get really messy really fast. And that's simply not God's heart for you. It's not God's heart for me. And if you'll just turn back to him today, he'll receive you. And by the way, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day. Like God created you for relationship with him. I know you might have been taught that you're just the product of some random selection and evolution, but that's not the truth. You were created in the image of God. And the distance that you have from God today is because of your sin. I had a young man come up after service last night, a young man probably in his teens or early 20s. And he responded to the invitation. And as I was talking to him to clarify the gospel, the good news, talking to him about his position separate from God because of sin, I looked him in the eye and I could just tell. I said, you don't need me to explain sin to you, do you? And he goes, no, no. I said, you know exactly what the sin is in your life, don't you? Oh, yes. And you want to turn from it? And he said, yes. And so I began to speak to him about the blood of Jesus Christ, the fullness of forgiveness and the removal of guilt, the innocent Son of Man, the Son of God died in your place in order that you by faith might receive the forgiveness of your sins. That today, if you turn away from your sinful past and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And he was so eager and so ready, and maybe you are today, so eager and so ready to get your life right with God. Well, that's a good decision, and I'd invite you to do just that. If you're here today and you'd say, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at, I'm going to ask you, would you just stand to your feet? We want to pray with you. And yeah, you know, we're not praying and our eyes aren't closed because we all want to see you and we all want to rejoice with you and we all want to be happy with you because you'll become a part of the family of God. And I am asking you openly, I'm asking you to do something that's very open and very public because that is the life that you'll live, very open and very public, to live your life for Jesus Christ. So today, if that's you, I want to invite you, make a public stand for Jesus Christ so that I can lead you in a prayer and we can all be excited with you like the angels in heaven that you might receive the forgiveness of your sins and you receive salvation of God, like God will save your soul. Is there anyone here? We'll wait for you, that today's a day. God bless you back there. God bless you, brother. Yes, on Mother's Day. God bless you here in the back. That's right. Yes. Maybe downstairs. It's a very exciting day. It's the turning point in your life. Who else would join these 
young men following Jesus Christ, who is it here today that God has spoken to your heart how much he loves you, that he laid it all down on the line just for you so that you would receive eternal life? God bless you. It's good. It's good. All right, so you guys are already lucky. If you are a believer, can you go and lay hands on these folks right here? So you got some here, you got a gal here, somewhere over here, uh, maybe downstairs. You know, a lot of people respond downstairs. We never see you up here. And uh, let's join me in a word of prayer. Then some of you just start praying for the people that responded on the radio, that responded on the internet. And those of you that are here standing, I want you to pray to God and please out loud repeat after me. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins because I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I want to experience your love. I want to live my life for you. And I'm asking for your help to turn my life away from my sinful past and to turn my life towards you. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. And Father, even as they're responding to this prayer and they're praying to you, they have this sense of people standing next to them. It maybe has never happened in their life before, but I want them to feel the tangible touch of your presence through your saints. I want them to know right now, I just sense one of them, they need to know they're not alone, they're not in this fight alone, that, that they are, they, even, even in the sense of, of what you've drawn them to today, God, that you, have, that you would just reveal to them the greatness of your plan for their lives and how much hope there is, even in their hopelessness, how much hope there is by faith in you today. And God, minister to our hearts in the area of backsliding, Welcome these new saints into the family in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.